Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week. You know what? I feel like I, I am opening this whole show up wrong. From now on, when Tom and Ben are here, I need to be saying, hey, everybody, this is Tina, Tom, and Ben with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. These guys are on here so often. They're literally just like part of the show. Tom and Ben of Will Continue to Monitor podcast. Hello, guys. Hello, ma'am. Hey, glad to be back. So happy to have you. So Tom and Ben tend to, if I have someone cancel on me or I'm just kind of like in a crunch for some a guest host for an episode, they like literally just like jump in there and do, they're just such troopers. I appreciate you guys so much. Well, we like being on the show, so it's it's never a problem for us. Well, this is a really interesting show that we're going to talk about. It's kind of a, a story that I feel like at the time it was going on, it was such a hot topic. I was I like I had to stay away from it. So I feel like we've gotten far enough away from it now that we can all talk about it calmly and professionally like adults. You know, it's definitely politically charged for sure. But I want you guys to know that when I'm very much independent when it comes to politics, I am one of these people that I'm like, all right, give me all the information and I want to I want to make my own choice and my own decision about what I think and how I'm going to vote and all of that. So just so you know, I have no agenda. I, I'm not I'm not here being like, hey, I'm going to get everybody to vote one way or another. It's not me. Definitely not. But this is a very interesting sh- story. And it's I thought we'd want to just tackle it. Also, the good nurse story. This is definitely a relevant recent thing that happened. Very sad, tragic event that happened. But I'm really proud of this nurse. And I'm really excited to get to, to discuss this because I feel like it's a really good educational opportunity for lots of people. So I'm excited to get to that point and talk about that stuff because I think people are going to be really surprised to kind of hear what we're going to talk about when it comes to that story. CBD Stat, they're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company. You know, I was able to use their product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples. And I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist. And it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis. And it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than a thousand milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. That's cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they'll know that we sent you there. 
Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. So I guess we can get started with this bad, it's actually a bad doctor story this week. Good doctor, bad doctor. It's actually, it's interesting. This is Dr. Simone Gold for you guys that don't know. She is an American physician. She's also an attorney. She had a medical degree, then got a law degree. But she's also an author. She's founder of an organization known as America's Frontline Doctors. This is an American political organization known for its hard stance against the COVID-19 vaccine and the protocols that were put into place during the pandemic, such as wearing masks and social distancing, the lockdowns and all of those things. She was born to Reuben, which he was a medical school professor, and Carol Tizes, an elementary school teacher for special needs children. She was raised on Long Island, New York. She graduated from City College of New York at age 19, received her doctor of medicine degree from the Chicago Medical School in 1989. And then after obtaining her medical license in California, as I said, she attended Stanford Law School. She graduated in 1993. She said that she did that as a, an act of rebellion. Imagine going to law school as an act of rebellion against your parents. Not just law school, Stanford Law. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah, like one of the premier colleges in America. Yeah, I'd just do that on a whim. Yeah, I'll show than, them. <laughs> she, she's clearly, yeah, she's clearly a very intelligent lady. Yeah, for sure. She's, she, oh, my goodness. Well, I, all, her father she, wanted all of his children to be doctors, but she had already graduated from medical school. So she, that, she was already a doctor. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like, How do you rebel against somebody doing the thing that they wanted you to do? Yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> I'll be a doctor. Like, uh, what kind of reverse psychology is she trying there? Yeah. So. <laughs> then she, in 1997, completes a residency in emergency medicine at the Renaissance School of Medicine at Stony Brook University. So she also worked as a fellow to U.S. congressman, according to her, Jim Jeffords, in 1967, although he does not, doesn't remember it for some reason. The, even the chief of staff who worked for Jeffords for 25 years said he did not remember her when he was asked about her in 2021. And then in 2009, she says she worked as an assistant to the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren. Oren credited her in articles he published in 2021. He claimed he didn't have any memory of her. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm like, wait, she's not a very memorable, apparently, to some of these people. Well, but I'm betting these people all have multiple staff members. And, and like Jeffords was 97 and 25 years later. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> if you ask me 25 years from now who I worked with. I mean, granted, my staff's pretty small, but I mean, I still would be like, well, yeah, I worked with them, but I don't, you know, don't Good really know I was going to say, I actually interned for a congressman in college for a semester, and I completely doubt anybody there has any recollection whatsoever of me being there. So that part, I don't 
discredit all. And at first I thought the Oren thing sounded suspicious, but then like Ben said, I thought, well, how many people does he really credit for just adding it into the footnotes? Like, oh, thank you so-and-so for giving me information. So at first I thought it sounded a little suspicious, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, it, he probably writes way more than one article and he probably has a lot of help. So I could see both of these things being totally yeah. plausible, yeah. actually. Like not oh, yeah. remembering her. Absolutely. But it does sound weird at first. Like, why don't you remember her? Then you're like, eh, yeah. Well. So many people come in and go in. Yeah. She married businessman Larry Gold and then divorced in 2010. They did have two children. For the majority of her life, she really wasn't involved in politics. But then in 2011, she donated to the campaign of Paul Ruiz, a California Democrat. And then in 2019, donated $1,000 to the campaign of Susan Collins, who was a Maine Republican. And she said, I'd fall in the middle of any partisan test. I don't believe in the right-left distinction. That's the trouble with being in the middle of the road. Sometimes you get run over. I, that, that's kind of me. I feel like that's, I was like, when I read that quote from her, I'm like, oh, I kind of identify with her, at least in this one thing. I feel that way sometimes. Because if you're kind of, if you're one of those people that really does legitimately consider yourself an independent and tries to look at both sides, even if you... I mean, even if your beliefs tend to fall one side or the other, I mean, really genuinely trying to stay in the middle, you could, you kind of get enemies on both sides. People don't like, nobody likes you because you're, you're not, people want you to be all in their camp, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, far too often. And that's it's the problem like, with two-party system. Yeah. If, if it tends, it seems to be things have shifted to, well, if you don't agree with me, then you must yeah. hate me. So now you're my enemy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I just said I didn't like, you know, chocolate donuts. Like, good Lord, it doesn't have to be what in the world. But it seems like everything has de- – yeah, exactly. So it just How seems like everything has you? become – Yeah, you're either pro-chocolate donut or you're anti-chocolate donut. I'm like, no, maybe I just wanted, a, you know, a cake donut today. Like, good <laughs> Lord, man. But everything has turned into that. And I agree with her on the – it feels like you're trying to be pushed. I'm like, no, I don't – vote either way based on any one thing. Like, I want to hear the facts. I want to make my decision. But nobody else around, it seems like it, it feels like you're always being pushed one way or the other. And as I say, that's the problem with the two-party system is the two-party system in and of itself sets you up for either for us or against us because to them, there's only two parties. And it's either you're with us or you're against us. That is a fair thought. It didn't always seem like this antagonistic. Like you could be a Democrat, but, you know, be friends with the Republicans. And there was those Republicans. Ah, he worked with the Democrats. It just doesn't seem to be like that. So I I understand what she's saying. It seems like anymore now, if you're in the middle, you got to play Frogger. You got to avoid all the traffic. Each side seems to. It's not just that you are differing in political beliefs. You literally demonize the other side. It's like, if you believe yeah. them, you are horrible. You're a horrible person. You hate people. You hate babies. You hate kittens. You know, you're just like the worst person ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so much. And again, this is that overall addressing of the cancel culture, which I know you're going to bring up later. It just, if I don't agree with you, then you shouldn't exist. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a very cool thing. It reminds me of that quote from Austin Powers. The dad is like, I can't stand people intolerant of other people and I can't stand the Dutch. Like that's <laughs> literally what this reminds me of. Like they want to hate you and they're like, you're not allowed to hate people. I'm like, but aren't you hating me while you say I can't hate people? Yeah. That's what it seems like a lot of things are happening. 
I totally agree. So in May of 2020, she organized an open letter to then President Donald Trump regarding the COVID-19 lockdowns. And she urged him to end the national shutdown, calling it a mass casualty incident. It cited issues of patients avoiding medical care, increased substance abuse, and greater financial instability. The letter was co-signed by more than 600 doctors with gold as the primary signatory. And it that's interesting because I, you know, I may have my beliefs about that. I was a, a critical care nurse working in the COVID intensive care unit during the pandemic. I went through all the things. I swear, I think I have PTSD because of it. And so I have my beliefs, but I also believe that she has her right to have her opinion and her beliefs about this. I would love to live in a world where we can, you know, talk about those things and learn, you know, from each other's beliefs instead of just like completely disregarding someone else's opinion and not listening to anything that they have to say. So that's kind of kind of where where I am right now on that situation. I agree. I and I'm the thing is, even if you wanted to argue some of the stuff she said isn't wrong. Like there was increased, you know, substance abuse in some areas, certainly not as widespread in, in all but these things did happen. So as much as you want to dismiss it, if you believe the opposite, it's hard to refute things when you can prove that they did happen. So I guess what I'm saying is I think whether we agree or we don't agree, that point of view should be taken in and we should consider it when we're making yeah. those overall decisions. And I'm glad she's saying it. I don't agree with her, but I, I think that she had every right to say what I she said. I do too. And that was definitely legitimate. There, you know, there was an increase in domestic violence during that time. There was an, and think about the children that had to be at home who normally during school hours, there are many teachers who say that there are children who come to school and the only meal that they get is during school, yeah. you know? So, I mean, you know, that and, had and, to be and that's just yeah, terrible. Horrible, yeah. right? and, and I have a kid that was displaced, you know, he's, he's young. I won't go into specifics, but the ripple effect that it's going to have on him and his classmates and their education is going to last years. I mean, it, it really is because honestly, I was one of the parents trying to figure out how to teach math. And I, I give all the credit to those teachers. I don't blame the teachers. They were doing what they could in those situations, but we all I think paid we did. some price yes, for the lockdown. It, yeah. And so good or bad, I mean, depending on how everyone, because there were people that certainly came out positive. You know, there were people that had negative and just know that, even though I think I agree with the idea, certainly the ripple effect is going to have an impact on us. So. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we were all impacted in different ways. And I don't believe in silencing someone's voice just because they have a, a different take on it. Maybe they have a different opinion. Um, I think we did the best we could with what we knew. It was something very different, well, you know. Yeah, at that yeah. time. Yeah, And now that we're kind of on the other side of it, it, we have to just look back and learn from from what happened and maybe try to do better in the future. That's all I could ever do. I say that all the time. That's literally my whole life is just making mistakes and then just going, oh, gosh, that was probably not something I should have said or not something I should have done. And then I'll learn from that and mm, I'll try not to make that mistake again. I feel like that's a better world to live in when we can kind of allow everybody to have that privilege. And that's how it should be. You know, and again, that's what we're going to get into, you know, with this show is what happens 
when you when sometimes when people are perceived to step out of that. Yeah. So well, she gained attention when a video of an American frontline doctor's press conference in front of the U.S. Supreme Court building went viral in July of 2020. Of course, right in the middle of of the pandemic. I mean, that is that was gosh, July 2020. I didn't even want to think about what was going on at that time. The press conference was referred to as the White Coat Summit. And was organized by her, by Dr. Gold, in conjunction with the Tea Party Patriots. Yeah. And was, anyway, that's an organization that's definitely affiliated with one particular side of the aisle. And it featured Dr. Gold and her colleagues speaking about the perceived merits of hydroxychloroquine, despite uh, I mean, there was evidence that it was ineffective as a COVID-19 treatment and definitely has its risk. I mean, we were kind of talking about this before. There, you have to kind of accept as a a person of science that you have a scientific method. You You have to rely on research for what works and what doesn't work. And the the research, the legitimate research that was out there was definitely showing that this was not something that was effective against COVID-19. There were lots of doctors, like good, honest, hardworking people who were just trying to do the right thing, who did feel like that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were good options for at least trying. And as someone who works in the ICU in a very rural area, we had COVID patients everywhere. And we had nurses taking care of way, 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 way too many people safely. I mean, it, and it was just like, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. And so really, in, in reality, as a, you know, forget scientific, forget the scientific method and evidence-based, just there you are in the middle of nowhere and you have this medication and you have somebody that you're just like, oh my gosh, this person's going to die. Why not give it to them? It's frustrating. You know, it can be very frustrating when you're just like these, this poor person, they, they believe in it, you know, like they, they're sitting there going, can I have it? And you're, you just have to be like, I'm sorry, but the government says no. I kind of feel for them. You know, I kind of feel bad because then the person turns around and dies. And then they're like, wow, look, why didn't you get? And absolutely. And this is the thing we talked about the show. I don't think that the aim was to stop that, though that is the unintended consequence. I think the stop was they were trying to stop people from profiting off this and stopping legitimate medical care when people were to start to believe, well, if I take this one pill, it's magic and I don't have to go do anything because the guy on TV told me it would work. I think that's what they were trying to stop. But the unfortunate side effect is then it stops legitimate prescribers from being able to make a sound decision with their patient. Again, I agree with you. I think there was very little evidence of any possibility of it working even very early on, but we were willing to try. And we even talked to nurses on, you know, on our podcast who were in New York City, who were the nurses taking care of people in those trials. And they said they were trying everything. They said literally there was just wings of this wing was this medicine, that wing was that medicine. And you just literally, that's how you treated people. They were trying everything. So I agree with you. If somebody wanted to do something, and they're, they're alert and oriented, and it wasn't going to cause them harm, I don't see the problem. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what they were trying to stop. I think they were trying to stop profiteers. Unfortunately, it impacted us anyways. So that's kind of where 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 she was kind of falling. She, 
she did believe in it and um and and she talked about it and you know what she's clearly smart so obviously she should be allowed to make that decision with her patients that's what i think she also opposed wearing masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I, I personally just don't understand that one. You know, like, I mean, like, how can you, how can, how can wearing masks hurt? I mean, really just, I don't, I mean. We, we were wearing masks in the medical profession for a long time before COVID ever hit. It, for some reason, never seemed to make any doctor operating and, you know, doing surgery, make them pass out. So, Suddenly when normal people, I shouldn't say normal people, that sounds bad. When people that weren't accustomed to having to wear masks, <laughs> you know, they were, you know, it was a shock, certainly. But I don't understand the overwhelming hatred. They're paper cotton masks. I mean. Yeah. And there were people that said, oh, it's reduced people's immune system because they're not exposed to as many germs and all that stuff. I, I mean, again. Please, people, don't listen to this and think, oh, she's on that side. Fine. I'm shutting her off. I'm not listen anymore. I like having discussions about this stuff. It's, I feel like it's healthy to talk about different viewpoints. I personally do believe that masks helped us get through that very difficult time. I think that what happened is that our healthcare system was overloaded very quickly with uh crap ton of people in, you know, the whole entire world getting this all at the same time. And in the United States and everywhere, we just couldn't handle it. And so the masks, at least to some some extent, maybe slowed it down a tad bit. And the also the isolation, the people staying at home, I have to believe that helped to some extent, because we were overwhelmed with the masking and with the social distancing and with the lockdowns, we were our healthcare system almost crumbled. It was it's bad. It's still not really it's not recovered. It hasn't recovered at all. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. It's just my opinion. Again, not trying to sway anybody. But she here she is, you know, giving this big speech, the video went viral. It was retweeted by the Trump family and reached over 14 million views before it was removed by Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for violating their policies related to the spreading of COVID-19, mis- what they consider misinformation. She was fired from the hospitals where she had worked as an emergency department physician in the aftermath of the video. And so then in January, the, on January the 5th, we're just now getting to the good stuff. We're just now getting to the actual crime portion of what she did. Well, she did a lot of stuff, but I think it's important to know who she was because the actual crime is actually pretty brief. It's what happened to her and how she got to there, I think, was important for everybody to know. So while it was a lot of mask wearing talking, yeah, I mean, we needed to know about Dr. Gold to talk about this. That's kind of the point is to set the stage for this, because, you know, we could just talk about the bad thing. And I do want to kind of present the whole story as it is, rather than just be like, here, you know, here's all my opinion and all one side of it. I hope I've done that. But on January 5th in 2021, she spoke at a rally in Washington, D.C. to a crowd of people that were gathering in the city for the following day's Stop the Steal rally. She opposed the COVID-19 vaccine. She said that the COVID-19 actual virus itself was not fatal. 
okay. That one. As a nurse who worked in the ICU and watched so many people who were not, you know, so many people, I feel like, tried to take the position that like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, people died because they had this comorbidity or that. I'm sorry, but I just saw way too many people who were just younger than me with families who really didn't have any comorbidities, who were just normal people who would have probably lived another 30, 40 years. Yeah, maybe they eventually would have had to be on blood pressure medicine. Maybe they would have developed type 2, whatever. But they're gone now. They're gone and their families miss them. And I had to watch that over and over again. I watched a woman completely dressed up in the gown and the face, everything, everything, the whole thing and laying across her husband's body and pictures of their, their teenage children all in the room. And he had been in there. We had taken care of him for a month, maybe longer on a ventilator. And finally we got to a point that it was just like, this is where we are. And I can remember looking at them and just thinking they look just like my family. I mean, I have teenage children. I, If anything, they were younger than me. If anything, maybe even healthier than me. My husband takes blood pressure medicine. I, It was so horrible. I cannot, that image of her literally like dressed and all that stuff and, and draped over him on, he's laying there on the ventilator and she's saying her goodbyes, crying and sobbing. It's etched in my brain. It'll never go away. I when I hear people say that COVID-19 is non-fatal, that's where I have to and I'm not like I'm not mad at her. I get it. I understand that there's like an opinion out there. She didn't have the same experience that I had. So I don't I'm not mad at her for not believing it, but I feel like I need to speak my truth because my truth is very different from that. I do have a lot of questions when someone says something like that and then they say, oh, I was in the emergency room at any hospital in the United States of America. And to say you didn't have to deal with COVID-19 or deal with it being fatal, I have a real problem. Like, where where was this? Because I was very isolated from direct contact from COVID. I was taking care of patients. I still went and saw everybody, but we did. we had a pretty robust you know, screening process. And if you were sick, you know, for outside of chronic diseases, we didn't really see a lot of people. I was very insulated and I still had patients and I still dealt with it directly or indirectly. And I knew what was going on in my hospital. And so for someone to say, I'm an ER physician, but I don't think COVID-19 is fatal. I start to question what's going on. Like that seems skewed. Like what, why, how could you say that? So that out of all the story, that's the part where I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no. Well, I also know that for me, there were in, as I said, during this pandemic, I also worked at a very small hospital that had an emergency department and people would come in there. We got to a point that they would have to send people home on oxygen that we otherwise would have admitted, but we did not have any room for them. There were there was literally nowhere for them to go. The, I know that those ER physicians would have never said that because they knew. They, they saw the people coming in and knew what they were doing when they were sending them home. Like, it's just 
we don't have anywhere for you to go home and the oxygen use here, take this incentive spirometer, do these exercises, just trying to educate them as much as possible to try to do the things that we would do for them in the hospital. I mean, it's awful. People we would have admitted, but there is no room and there is no hospital to send them to because we literally have patients here who are waiting for beds at other hospitals. I mean, that is this, that's the reality. So I don't know where she was an emergency physician. I don't, I don't know it. I don't, I don't get that at all. I don't that she didn't see something like that. Yeah. Plain, plain devil's advocate. I, I wonder in reading that it's the devil's in the details and this is just my speculation. Obviously I mean, I have no knowledge of anything as far as like her thoughts. If her in saying that is, is saying, well, what COVID's not fatal, but the pneumonia that you could get from the viral infection is fatal, or the heart problem that you get from it is fatal, but the actual COVID nineteen itself is not. I'm wondering if that's not. So she, so she's basically trying she, to say you die from AIDS, but not HIV. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah, you, you you're trying to. I'm just saying that was no, no. I understand, but at the same time, that's what my response would be: is okay. Well, you know what the cause was, and so you can no longer say that. And that's what I'm getting at: is I feel like this is the point in her lifespan. Like it seems, you know, up to this point, it seems like she had always been very down the middle, and then all of a sudden, to take that hard of a turn. Seems very odd to, to go from, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm against mask mandates and I'm against, okay, I think there's lots of people that agreed with that. But to say I'm an ER physician, COVID-19 doesn't kill you, I'm like, whoa, like that's where things seem very different. It no longer seems like she's down the middle at that point, I guess. Like that, you seem like you took a step when, when you do that. It's just like when multiple people get the flu Look at people in the flu every year and they had the flu every year in the hospital and some of them die from it. Children die from the flu. People die healthy, normally otherwise healthy people die from the flu. I mean, it happens. This was happening with COVID, but it was like on a, a larger scale. It was causing all sorts of issues that COVID-19 pneumonia, that was no joke. So what you're saying is like COVID-19 is non-fatal. Well, Unless it turns into pneumonia, if it turns into pneumonia, yeah, and it kills I you. mean, because yeah. then you're talking about you are in a hospital on a ventilator and you have nurses coming in there every two hours trying to prone you and turn you from one prone position to another, because that's literally the only way you can breathe. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I watched too many people go, f- you know just literally go from coming into the hospital claiming they don't believe in the COVID in COVID-19 laughing about it, making fun of it when you are doing your admission and you're asking them, did you have the COVID vaccine or did you, when you're asking them, have you had any symptoms or whatever? And then they're laughing at you and they're kind of snickering or they're making these snide remarks or being, I don't know, snarky. And you're just like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Hilarious. That's ha, because ha. they didn't but, see it. They didn't see it. They just haven't been seeing it. And then all yeah, of a sudden, they they turn, see it. then they turn into the statistics, but it's too, that's the statistic. They're, it's too late. And then what are they saying? Tell my family. I cannot tell you how many people 
tell my family, tell my family to go get that vaccine. I wish I would have known. I mean, it's at this point, uh, and I feel so bad because I understand. I mean, I get it. I, there was a time, I think, early on when I was just, I was, I kind of felt that way too. We, you, we didn't know. None of us did. And I think it was scary, the thought of getting a vaccine that you didn't know anything about. Like, oh my gosh, it did, did come, it came across, came down the pike pretty fast. I get it. I totally get it. And it was really hard to watch, watch these people suffer, like literally suffer. Oh my gosh, it was awful. Needing a bed at a higher level of care and there is nothing. And so to see this doctor saying this, I know she felt like this was, I feel like she did feel like this was true. I don't think she thought she was spreading lies. I hope not. (laughs) See, but that's, that's what I'm, to me, that's like I'm saying is I don't know that she knew she was lying, but at the same time, this is where everything at her life up to this point seems pretty down the middle. Like, I don't agree with the mask mandates, but I'm, you know, taking care of patients. I'm, I don't agree with the left. I don't agree with the right. I'm trying to stay down the middle up until this point. And that's where I'm like, I, I don't know how you couldn't know that you're lying at that point. If you're an ER physician in the United States of America in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I think you ha- I think it has to be a lie at that point. You have to know you're telling a lie. I mean, and that to me is like, that's the problem is whether you believe it or not. To me, that is a problem. If you're telling a lie that you know is a lie, regardless of COVID nineteen, you could take this scenario and apply it to anything. That's what makes her you know bad in my brain. Is that's the beginning of the bad. Is like so now you're telling people things you know aren't true, and you know that they trust you because you're a physician. Like you're using your position to spread something that you know is no longer true. Well, I do think that there were physicians who were very, you know, well-meaning. They they really believed in what they were saying. That that really felt like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were legitimate treatments for COVID nineteen. I believe in these people. I knew them personally. I know. These are not people that were making any money off that. They were literally, they would go to people's houses. These are doctors that are just like country doctors that, you know. So I don't know about her and like her thinking, but I know there were lots of really good, well-intentioned people who were just trying to do the right thing and trying to navigate just like everybody else. Yeah. And they just, you know, that's what they felt like was right. I do know that these people also saw people die. I mean, it's not like they didn't see the people die, but they also saw people die that they weren't allowed to give the medicines to. That was frustrating too, because it's like, you know, they're like, oh, if I could have given him the medicine, you know, it's like, part of me just thinks, why did the government even step in? These are medicines that legitimately treat other um, other illnesses and they have side effects, but so does all the other crap that we give people. The, oh my gosh, what was that antiviral that we were given to all the people, remdesivir for COVID? That would like crap people's kidneys out. No, you know, like nobody's business. Tank their creatinine levels. That medicine was, it was pretty toxic for people. And yet, bam, hanging it on every single person that has COVID, but we can't give them hydroxychloroquine. I mean, it almost seems ridiculous because there's people that literally come in that take Plaquenil all the time. You know what I mean? So it really, it's so inconsistent that it was frustrating. Yeah. And like I said, I I don't think it was to stop those individual doctors. I think it was to stop people from trying to profiteer is what I think. It it would, but I, I do, I feel for you. I would hate to have a patient and go, well, I think that this is a good off-label use for it. 
But to be in a position to not yeah. give it. The, the government says, nope, you can't give I mean, it for that, this. That's, that, yes, that's pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I understand that's a rough in the beginning. Now, towards later on when it was pretty well confirmed, I would be like, why are you still doing this? If it's the last shot, you're on a deathbed, sure. I have no problems with it. But there does become a point where, yeah. But anyways, I think the point had a good intention. It unfortunately had a bad side effect. Right. And the side effect was that there were people who maybe, even if it was just a placebo, could have benefited from it. Yeah, placebo effect. I mean, even if it was just like, hey, at least the the family feels like they did everything that they possibly could have done, you know? So she was definitely against the vaccine. She made a few other claims about the vaccines she told supporters if you don't want to take a biologic an experimental biological agent deceptively named a vaccine you must not allow yourself to be coerced she was pretty much telling people like don't get it and it I, okay again I'm, oh my gosh i struggle with this too because there is really a part of a part of me and i know there's a lot of people in the medical industry that disagree with me on this but i have a problem with the government saying you have to take this or with an, a, an entity saying you have to take this. Now, I also believe that if a hospital is saying you have to take this, I have the right to go get a job somewhere else. I don't have to be a nurse. I can go do something else. You know, I, I could say, you know what, I really don't want to get the vaccine. I'll just go get another job somewhere else. That's unfortunate. And it feels a little unfair. But at the same time, I do feel like the hospital has the right to say, if you know, if you're going to come and take care of our people, you kind of have to have this vaccine. Where I really have a problem with the inconsistency with the freaking hospital systems. Oh, I'm sorry. I, did I throw an extra word in there? It's when they tell a nurse that, oh, you tested positive for COVID yesterday. Oh, you have your, your, I can't even understand what you're saying over the phone because your voice is so hoarse and you're you're so incredibly congested and you're you you're you can't even get out a full sentence because you're so short of breath and I hear your chest and every time you cough it sounds like horrible you know just absolutely horrible and you're telling me you have all these body aches and you can barely drag yourself out of the bed but do you have a fever no do you have any GI symptoms no well then you can come to work okay that's where I have a problem you are going to tell me that I have to have a vaccine which I got by the way but if I have COVID if I literally just started getting symptoms a couple of days ago and got tested yesterday because I was getting symptoms and I'm positive and I can't even drag myself out of the bed if I don't have a fever or GI symptoms, I literally qualify to walk into a patient's room and start taking care of them. I'm sorry. That drove me nuts. No, there was there was a lot of inconsistencies in the application of that from the very beginning. And I fault JCO, the accreditation academies, all of them. I fault all the OSHA, the government agency, because they all knew healthcare workers were getting the shaft, that they were not being supplied with appropriate protective equipment. And they were saying stuff, the the stuff pre-COVID, if I told you pre-COVID that you were going to have to wear an N95 mask multiple days in a row, not multiple patients alone, multiple days, 
you would crap your pants and tell me that would never ever happen in the United States of America because I would have agreed with you. I would be like, that's just not going to be a thing here. And then fast forward a couple of months and there we are doing it. So the fault for me starts at the very top where nobody gave us any support. Nobody protected us. And then they said stuff like that. Oh, well, you can come to work if you're only like a little sick. No, no. The, where is any support to the healthcare worker or to do their job to protect the patient? Like you are just because you don't want to be short. You're telling me suddenly it's okay to come in while I'm sick when that would never be okay any other time, let alone when you know I have COVID-19. I, I got to agree as much as I want things to go well, the guidance and application of that guidance was ridiculously terrible this entire pandemic. Yeah, the inconsistencies were just just ridiculous. And I, could, I as a person who was literally working at the bedside the entire time, I still work at the bedside and literally lived this. This was the reality. This was the reality. I can attest to it personally. This is what happened. You're listening to three healthcare professionals. We live in three separate areas of America, wide, widely separate. We've all worked in ERs, ICUs. We either have loved ones that still work. My wife still works at a major university hospital, right? I am connected both in inpatient, outpatient, multiple hospital systems in my state, out of my state. And I can tell you, bar none, universally across the United States of America, we are in trouble. <laughs> like the American healthcare system is, is in trouble. I mean, that doesn't mean I, – I, I don't think that there should be like riots in the street. Well, maybe. I don't know. But the point is, is we are legitimately having – infrastructure problems, we're having personnel problems, and only thing that seems to be happening is hospital administrations are trying to find out ways to make things harder on nursing and the staff that take care of patients, not better. So, and, and whether you work for a hospital that is doing great for you, th that's awesome. I, I applaud you. I'm so happy for you. And not every hospital is a menacing evil, but unfortunately enough of them are that that's what's happened to American healthcare. At least that's where it looks to me. And like I said, we know people across the country in every aspect, and they all flat say the same thing, that we're in trouble. So if you're listening to this in your car, wherever you're at, maybe it's time to take heed of, of what's going on around you. Well, I think that what we need to do is we need to be applying to our uh, lawmakers to help us to make. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They need to stop listening to just the hospital administrations. And maybe they need to start listening to people that actually work in the hospitals because they are not the same people. Yeah. So we need to be enlisting all of the people, the people of each of our states. We, any of us could be potentially patients in a hospital, any of our family members. As Tom said, I have my little corner of the world. I, I, all I know is where I am and in, in my experience. So I feel like the only thing that's going to help that would be legislation that would force hospitals to make the changes that they need to make. And I, it, it's going to have to take an, a complete overall, you know, like restructuring of the way everything is done in hospitals, the way that 
from the very top level of these hospital systems where the very top person gets millions and millions of dollars a year all and then all the way down. It's going to start with how they get paid. When you change how hospitals get money, they'll change how they disperse it and treat staff. And while they keep getting money from the government without changing, they're not going to. That, I mean, that seems to be a pretty – if somebody else has another opinion on that, I'm willing to hear it. <laughs> Just if you can explain it to me in a different manner from what I've already seen with my own two eyes, I would like to hear what it may be. So so my listeners are probably just like, what the heck? She goes, I don't even know where we were. <laughs> or they're calling their congressman and be like, what's Here going on Tina in my again. hospital? She went off on a tangent. I have no idea where were we in the story. Well, where we were in the story is that our Dr. Gold, oh, Jul- January 5th, 5th <laughs> yeah. in 2021, was speaking at this rally in Washington, D.C. This crowd of people had gathered there for the Stop This Steal rally. She opposed the COVID-19 vaccines. And then she told supporters, you know, about it being, you know, deceptive and all of that stuff. She was scheduled to speak at the rally for health freedom scheduled for January 6th, the very next day, but it was canceled before her speech. And so she joined the crowd and illegally entered the Capitol building along with America's frontline doctors, communications director, John Strand. So Dr. Gold and Strand were seen on video footage in the middle of a crowd attempting to push past law enforcement officials to get inside. She then gave the speech she had planned to give at the rally in the rotunda of the Capitol building. She said that she spent approximately 20 minutes at the Capitol. Go Google this right now. If you don't like the pictures, this is insane that people went and actually did this. They were later identified. But if you stop and think about what they did, like how in the world they didn't know what they were doing was wrong. I can't believe it. I, I can't even believe it. Like me and my rural following self, I was just so shocked that they were <laughs> they they were later identified by the FBI from images from the event after they circulated on social media. She was arrested at her home in Beverly Hills, California. On January 18th, on five charges, including entering a restricted building and disorderly conduct, she admitted that she entered the building. She said that she didn't know it was illegal and she didn't see any violence. She said, I do regret being there. She was concerned that the controversy would detract from her work with America's frontline doctors. In April 2021, she told Ted Nugent in an interview that two, 20 FBI agents had come to arrest her and that she had been placed on the no-fly list. Poor thing. So in May of 2021, she and America's frontline doctors sued the United States Department of Health and Human Services in an attempt to prevent children from receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. They filed an 80-page petition in the United States Court for the Northern District of Alabama and called the vaccines experimental injections and that said the COVID-19 presents zero risk of death to children. Regarding the petition, Dr. Gold said, we doctors are pro-vaccine, but this is not a vaccine. This is an experimental biological agent whose harms are well-documented, although suppressed and censored and growing rapidly, and we will not support using America's children as guinea pigs. So in February of 2022, she pleaded guilty to knowingly and unlawfully entering and remaining in a 
restricted building or grounds as a class A misdemeanor. She was sentenced to 60 days in prison, $9,500 fine. She served her sentence at a federal prison in Miami and was, was released on September 9th, 2022. This just happened that she was released. Upon her release, Congressman Louis Gomert gifted her a flag that flew over the United States Capitol and called her a political prisoner. She's been criticized for her views, obviously, in the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccines. Jeffrey Copeland, an epidemiologist and vice president for global health and at Emory University and a former head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said, quote, she and her organization show a willful ignorance of science and the scientific method, as well as a disrespect for accomplished scientific institutions and brilliant scientists. Then the director of Columbia University's Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative, Erwin Redliner, called Gold a, quote, toxic purveyor of misinformation, now actively contributing to right-wing extremist rhetoric that continues to rile up people determined to hang on to the most egregious Donald Trump lies. And that's a direct quote from, from him. So in 2020, she did publish a book that was called, I Do Not Consent, My Fight Against Medical Cancel Culture, detailing her experiences with COVID-19 patients and sharing her opinions about the pandemic, if you want to really go in just all of her opinions on the subject. But as I talked to the show, her legal troubles are not over. As the American Frontline Doctors filed a lawsuit against her on November 4th, so just a few days ago from when we're recording this, accusing her of misappropriating their funds to purchase a $3.6 million home, rent another property, purchase three luxury vehicles, fund a housekeeper, a personal security detail, and thousands of dollars a month in other unspecified personal expenses. The suit also accuses her of interference, claiming that she is, quote, seeking to take back control of American frontline doctors and restore herself into a leadership role in the organization. So it appears that her legal troubles are not nope. over. Nobody wants to touch it. Sit. I know. <laughs> because no, no, no. I'm, I'm still. It's interesting okay. because like, nope. we, you know, we tried to say, I mean, I feel like I tried to stay neutral. I know I I can't, I mean, I can't help but give my opinion. I feel like I, I have the right to give my opinion. I, I'm trying not to discount someone else's opinion about something. And while I do believe that her opinion about certain things are opinions of a lot of people who are very well-meaning and that's, that's their point of view. And I am always open to listening to, to those people. So for me, I am not the kind of person who would hear someone have a different opinion of me and then just be like, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, mm, all right, let explain that to me. Like, I want to have that conversation. I really do. Because I want to hear what is your reasoning? Can you really ex explain to me? I want you to convince me. And if you can't, then I mean, well, if you're not going to, if I feel like what you're telling me is your reasoning is not measuring up to what my my logical reasoning is. And I can present you with information that clearly contradicts that and you're not listening to me. Well, then I'm just gonna be like, okay, you're not listening. You're 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 on that side of it. And you're you're just refusing to listen. That's fine. I get it. I feel like I have been that I've been there before. I've been there before where I have like a belief that I'm like stuck in. 
and I just can't quite see someone else's point of view. So I totally understand that it's easy to be there. You know, that's fine. It's just that I I, I don't know. Like, don't just be like, oh, you believe this way, run. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't believe in that either. But there's a difference between having an open and honest conversation. But even if it's with someone that disagrees with you or as a, has a different point of view of you, I think that's actually a healthy thing. We should be doing that. Problem is, is I have just, I guess, reached that point in my life where if someone is so extreme, and it, it doesn't matter which extreme it is, those are the only times I, I don't really engage in conversation anymore. They clearly don't want to hear a fact. They want to hear you believe them. And I just don't engage in those conversations. Other than that, you're right. I think everybody has the right to their opinion. I just want to know why. You know, like, how did you come to that conclusion? Because maybe I'm wrong. I'm willing to admit that. You just have to, you know, tell me. And the problem is, is far too often it just becomes, if you don't agree with me, then I hate you. And there's no more conversations. Yeah, so unhealthy. We need to get back to the talk and part. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day, and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. This is, it, it is an interesting story. I It's very tragic what happened. As many of you may know, there there's a rapper who goes by the name of Takeoff. That's his, that's his rapper name. And he he was shot and this seems to be happening. I, my son listens to hip hop and stuff. So I, f- I feel like I'm like, so-and-so got shot. I'm like, this happens way too often. Why, why are they do? why do they do this to each other? Anyway, it's a very tragic situation. And in this particular situation, there was a nurse who was in her apartment and heard the pow, 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 you know, she heard the the gunshots, she knew immediately that it wasn't just like, oh, a, a car backfiring, or, you know, things that you tend to, oh, it was fireworks, or no, she was like, oh, that was absolutely gunshots. Yeah, so this takes place in Houston, which, as far as I know, has one of the highest murder rates in America, and she's a nurse there. I have a feeling she's well aware of, you know, gunshots, but I think, to me, that's what makes her even more the good nurse, and I know you're going to get to it, is that when she heard the gunfire, she ran to it. 
you know, everybody else was running away. Not this lady. She was running to Yeah, in the middle of the night, early in the morning like that. She was an infusion nurse. They did keep her identity confidential, which I'm really glad that they did. But she lived near where it happened. She heard the gunshots, as I said earlier, and rushed to help him. Of course, because of how severe the wounds were, she wasn't able to actually help him. But the that's not the point. The point is that she ran out knowing this was a shooting. She ran into this situation where she obviously clearly could have been killed herself. I, I'm, I'm just, just, I mean, we could stop the story right there. I am so proud of her for doing that. Yeah, and I can tell you of being a person that was paid to go to those types of calls and I was wearing armor and had a gun, I will tell you right now, it is still a terrifying experience. So for a lady with no training, no background in the middle of the night, rushing into a scenario, she has no clue what's going on other than someone is shooting a gun. (laughs) This lady, she is a true, like awesome person. Like the amount of, guts it takes to be able to do that is pretty tremendous yes oh i i i i feel like this is one of those situations where no no one can really say what they would would do but my goodness for me to imagine myself going outside in this situation is really really hard for me to imagine doing what she did so i'm i would honestly advise most people not yeah to. i mean you would if, have if this to. lady if this lady had said tom what should i do I would say you stay inside your house, you hunker down, you call 911. And honestly, that's what I would tell every person listening to this. Do not run towards gunfire. Okay, there you go. Let's just make real awesome, real sound advice. Do not ever run towards gunfire. What you can do that is super helpful to the cops is call 911 and start relaying information. I heard five gunshots. It was three minutes ago. It sounded like it was to the west of me. I have not heard any more. I've seen five cars drive away. That's all information we want to know. Or I shouldn't say we, they. They want to know going towards the scene of, you know, the, the, the crime. So... The fact that she actually went to it, though, and was trying to render aid is just mind-blowing to me still. Oh, yeah. It was just outside, apparently, the doors of a bowling alley that was in the area. And, yeah. Gotta say, didn't see that coming. Oh, hmm. Who knew? A guy worth several million dollars getting shot outside a bowling alley is just not a headline I really well, anticipated. Well, I know. It, it does seem See? odd, but I mean... I guess if you, even if you have that kind of money and you still maybe have friends yeah. and you want to go do things like that. You still want to pick up 710 splits? Yeah. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I mean I just Apparently goes. there were a couple other people, a man and a woman who were shot and treated at a local hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. The Houston police said that this all started from an argument and they don't really know who the actual intended target of the shooting was. They're not sure that they really meant to hit the artist known as Takeoff. His name was actually Kirshnik Kari Ball. He was 28 and he was at a private event with Migos and friends at the time of the incident. So this nurse said, I live close by and I heard pow, 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 and it stopped. And I went, that's so weird. I got up in my pajamas, go over to the balcony. My neighbors were underneath me. I said, did y'all hear that? And they said, yeah. And I said, I don't think that was a car 
or firecrackers that sounded like gunshots. The nurse later explained that she saw people running from the area, but she only left her apartment after she realized that the cries and screams heard were coming from Quavo, another member of Migos and Takeoff's uncle. So she did realize that a man had been shot, but she wasn't aware of who it was. She didn't understand that it was a celebrity, I guess. She went to the trunk of her car, grabbed some supplies. She said that you can hear her voice in a video yelling, I'm a nurse. No, 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 I'm a nurse because I want to let them know. She said, I was scared, but I had to go. So I feel like she was almost like saying, if there's anybody that's going to be targeting someone, please understand I'm a nurse. I'm here to help someone. Yeah. No, and that was probably a yeah. very smart thing to do at that point. I time. will say that I saw now. You know how you see people say crap on social media all the time. So I don't know if this is real or not, but I saw someone, and I may have seen even more than one person say this: that in the state of Texas, if you announce that you're a nurse and then render aid, you can be held liable because you're. It's like you're saying I'm taking responsibility for what I'm doing. I have never heard that before, but as dumb as some laws can be, I mean, that's a perfectly, I I, I shouldn't say perfectly reasonable thing to think. I can absolutely see how someone came to that conclusion, but I don't know of any state law, but that would seem to be the exact opposite of trying to get people to help. I mean, you would think so. Let me make a law that penalizes healthcare professionals for exercising their you know, tremendous skill and judgment that we have paid for and honed. Let's make sure they never use it because they might get in trouble for it. That seems exactly like something the government would do. There are so. a lot of people from Texas that listen to this podcast. So I guarantee you somebody's going to email me. Y'all be nice. I'm Good. I want to know. know. I want to know. Please don't email and be like, do your research. Like, uh, no, I don't want to do my research. No. Mm-mm. That's why I, mean, I asked you. You're from Texas. Like, what else? All right. Go this on. is th- Go on, like, this is my <laughs> podcast. If I want to do a podcast where I just sit here randomly, just spout crap out of my mouth and say whatever I want to say, researched or not, then I can do that. And like, you don't even have to listen to it. I swear, you really don't. You can literally just be like, she obviously doesn't do her research. Turn it off. Well, you know who does do research? We'll continue who? to monitor. I heard that oh, podcast my gosh. just Y'all, researches the crap out I of believe everything. That. I bet Ben. Yeah, ben, those guys. Ben does. Ben is obviously the researcher it. in this group. That. Come on. Like, come on. You know it's not no, Tom. Tom is the sliding in at the <laughs> <Not>? last minute. <laughs> yes. Cheating yes. off Ben. Yeah. Tom is not that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. What's the answer right. to six? And he's like... 12. I'm like, 12? I thought it was multiple choice. I thought it was A, B, C. I'll, I'll still write 12 just because Ben told yeah. me to. So whatever Ben says, yeah. I'm going with that. <laughs> yes, whatever Ben says, that's what we all think. So more happens way more often than people want to yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, I I feel like this was, you know, you, you stop and think about good grief. Two, 2.30 in the morning, like, I'm afraid in my house, in my little suburban, like, safe area in my house. I'll, if I would like wake up at two 30 in the morning and like my husband isn't here for some reason, I can be in my apartment in my little area where I live, where I'm travel nursing. It is like the safest place ever that has indoor corridors. And it's like a, a place you have to badge in and badge out. And like, you have to badge into the building. And then I have a, like a locked door to go into my apartment. And I still am scared. I cannot imagine this woman at two o'clock in the morning, hearing gunshots 
and leaving her apartment. I can't, I, if, when I say that she deserves like all the accolades and all the praise, I, I swear, I feel like, so I'm so proud of, I can't, I can't even stand it. I, it's amazing. I mean, somewhat, like I said, I've actually responded to stuff like this, but I was paid to, you know, I was awake, I was on shift, I had appropriate equipment and it's still a terrifying experience. So I, like when you said nobody could tell you what they do, I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> I could kind of tell you what I would do because I had to. And I'll tell you, it's not fun. It's never an experience you want to go through. So I am openly and legitimately telling anybody out there, you may find yourself in a situation like this someday. You won't want to be there. So don't go to it. If you hear gunshots, do not head towards them. Safety is your friend. You know, stay safe. Call 911. Let the people take care of it. She was obviously in a different situation. She heard someone screaming. She she made the choice, and I applaud her for it. I'm just saying the majority of people, I would tell them, don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. Do not get hurt. You know, if you hear gunshots, stay away from them. They're bad. She said that she could, she said, I just couldn't have lived with myself if, if I knew I had equipment to save his life, and I didn't. Like, she, she literally, it's, you can tell she kind of processed no, it, like... I, what if I, what if I could, she didn't know, she didn't know he was shot in the head. She didn't know what the situation was. So she's yeah. thinking to herself, what if I could save his life? And I found out later, like I didn't do anything. That's what she thought. And she literally just li- absolutely ris- risked her life to go tr- try to save his. When she said she heard him screaming, I think that at that point, maybe a lot of people would go, okay. And I would say good for them as well. I'm just saying. I think that's where it changed. If if nobody had screamed, I don't think she runs out that door. You know what I'm saying? I think she hears like, I just heard five gunshots. I ain't going out my door. I, I live in Houston. I know what happens in Houston. I ain't going out that door. But when you add the human element, and she is a nurse, while we are all not the exact same, I think there is a unifying bond. I think that people get into this field, we develop that sense of, I want to help this person. And I think hers just kicked into overdrive. Yeah. She said by the time she got to the scene, she was she was too late. She took his pulse numerous times. She confirmed he was already dead. She said his head was way up in his eyes. His head was way up and his eyes were rolled back and fixed. She saw a pile of blood behind his head. She said she knew she couldn't assist him. She waited on the scene until the police and ambulance arrived. The thing is that after this story came out on social media, there were a lot of people who were kind of giving her a hard time and saying, why didn't she render aid? Why didn't she do CPR? I mean, there were lots of people who were like, why didn't she do CPR? I can't believe she didn't do CPR. Like, you know how people in social media can be. They think, you know, they're yeah. all experts. Well, and I would guarantee you all those people questioning her, none of them would have ran. So they're questioning a person that they wouldn't even attempted to do what she did. And that's and that's that's pretty much the state of social media at most places is somebody that's not willing to do the thing is willing to criticize the person that actually did it. So, yeah, that's why I, I guess I don't pay them a lot of creed unless they're giving me a five-star review on my podcast then i pay it all the creed but other than that then i don't really pay him a lot of attention so well i think that there are and stop shaking your head you know ben's shaking i think that there are a lot of even maybe even healthcare people maybe even nurses who don't understand this concept because when we go to take our acls class every year to get certified in you know advanced cardiac cardiovascular life support 
we think of, you know, airway breathing circulation. And so we are, everything is about getting on the chest as soon as possible. Everything is like, keep the heart beating, keep the heart pumping. And we kind of have that so drilled into our heads. If you don't work in trauma at all, you never work in the ER, never handle any kind of trauma situations. I've never, I've never been in that situation then you probably don't get it. You really don't understand that if someone has been shot, and this is what she said, this is this was her response. She went on camera. Her head was not exposed because she did not want, she wants to remain anonymous, but she did want to explain herself, which I totally, again, I, I she's amazing. She is an absolute amazing person. She wanted to explain herself. And she said, you would never do CPR because if someone has had a, a gunshot wound you would be circulating the blood, the blood would go right out. And you are literally going to be losing more blood as you're pumping the blood, you're it's going to be squirting out the gunshot holes. And you're causing the victim to actually lose more blood. The more important thing is to apply pressure to the wounds. Unfortunately, he had so many gunshot wounds, and one of which was to the head. And so it just literally wasn't possible for her to save him, even though she did everything that she could have possibly done. She said, this is not my son, but it still hurts me that it's somebody's son, she said. She said she's even trying to figure out what happened and and looking for answers herself. But she is correct in the fact that even in TNCC, they've changed it now to where one of the first things that you do is look for signs of external bleeding and address that before you address anything else. And even in CPR now, instead of it being ABC, it's CABC or CAB. So the first thing they want you to do is look for signs of external bleeding and control that before you work on airway, breathing, circulation. So technically she's right because all you're going to do if you are doing chest compression is you're going to exsanguinate the victim even faster, unfortunately. Yes, which is a terrible lesson, but one that we at least recognize and learn from 20 years of being in wars is – you know, all these guys and medics that work on these, you know, injured soldiers, they learn these lessons and then they bring them back to us and we are applying that knowledge. So that's where that 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 new information and those changes have come from is from the information we got from wartime. And we've learned blood is pretty important. I mean, we knew it before. and I know that sounds pretty obvious, but getting back to the point is now we're trying to get the patient to keep it. And that's why circulation is such a major part of the trauma, you know, assessment now. And so she's right. I understand why the family, because they they see TV, you know, and on TV, on ER or Grey's Anatomy, they would have done something. But I, I would point back to all those people that are questioning her. That would be my exact point. Those people are in hospitals. There's lots of equipment. There's lots of things to do. She was on a street waiting for an ambulance with a person not knowing if she was going to get shot. The very fact that she was willing to stay there and try and do everything she could should be the thing that we should be focusing on, not harassing her for appropriately triaging this person and then trying to help them. I I just – people – when they criticize someone for trying to do the right thing, it just gets very difficult. But she was right. Kudos to her. And I'm glad she's a nurse. Yes, and I'm I proud she's well. in our and, profession. So. And it's an, an, an anonymous good nurse. But whoever you are out there, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. 
And I, I can't believe you risked your life to go try to help someone. You had no idea who it was in the middle of the night. I swear I can't imagine myself doing that. Um, I'm kind of ashamed to say that. I mean, it, I would hope I would love to be able to say, "Oh, I would do the same thing." I really can't see. I, I, I don't know. I. It's hard for me to imagine doing that. So I'm really proud of you if you're listening to this. I think that was a great story. I'm glad we got to to end on that. I love that story, guys. Remind everybody where they can find your podcast. Well, you can find us over on Just Some Podcast. Or we'll continue to monitor. Our website is justapodcast.com. And of course, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, just about everywhere. But Tina, obviously, other than bedside, where else can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> I like what he did oh. there. So <laughs> oh, he's clever. <laughs> oh, you can find me on. Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok. And um, I have a website, goodnursebadnurse.com. And you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I would really appreciate it if you guys would leave me a five-star review. Apparently, I'm supposed to be asking you guys for this every week. I never even think to say stuff like this. But yeah, go ahead. Thank you guys for coming on the show again. I appreciate it. And I want to remind all you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse, please.